This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Zoomers. So today, I wanted to resume more or less where we left off with the Gentra Koan. And to that end, I thought, even though, again, we just chanted it in service, there are some folks here who weren't in service, and so why don't we begin, uh, we'll just uh, read it rather than try to chant it, just read it, and let's start with the firewood becomes ash, that's at the bottom of my first page. So, firewood becomes ash, and it does not become firewood again, yet it is not suppose that the ash is future and the firewood past. You should understand that firewood lies in the phenomenal expression of firewood, which fully includes past and future, and is independent of past and future. Ash abides in the phenomenal expression of ash, which fully includes future and past, just as firewood does not become firewood again after it is ash. You do not return to birth after death. This being so, it is an established way in Buddha Dharma to deny that birth turns into death. Accordingly, birth is understood as no birth. It is an unshakable teaching in Buddha's discourse that death does not turn into birth. Accordingly, death is understood as no death. Birth is an expression complete this moment. Death is an expression complete this moment. They are like winter and spring. You do not call winter the beginning of spring, nor summer the end of spring. Enlightenment is like the moon reflected in the water. The moon does not get wet, nor is the water broken. Although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. The whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the grass or even in one drop of water. Enlightenment does not divide you, just as the moon does not break the water. You cannot hinder enlightenment, just as a drop of water does not hinder the moon in the sky. The depth of the drop is the height of the moon. Each reflection, however long or short its duration, manifests the vastness of the dewdrop and realizes the limitlessness of the moonlight in the sky. When dharma does not fill your whole body and mind, you think it is already sufficient. When dharma fills your body and mind, you understand that something is missing. For example, when you sail out in a boat in the midst of an ocean where no land is in sight and view the four directions, the ocean looks circular and does not look any other way. But the ocean is neither round nor square. Its features are infinite in variety. It is like a palace. It is like a jewel. It only looks circular as far as you can see at that time. All things are like this. Though there are many features in the dusty world and the world beyond conditions, you see and understand only what your eye of practice can reach. 
In order to learn the nature of the myriad things, you must know that although they may look round or square, the other features of oceans and mountains are infinite in variety. Whole worlds are there. It is so not only around you, but also directly beneath your feet or in a drop of water. A fish swims in the ocean, and no matter how far it swims, there is no end to the water. A bird flies in the sky, and no matter how far it flies, there is no end to the air. However, the fish and the bird have never left their elements. When their activity is large, their field is large. When their need is small, their field is small. Thus, each of them totally covers its full range, and each of them totally experiences its realm. If the bird leaves the air, it will die at once. If the fish leaves the water, it will die at once. Know that water is life, and air is life. The bird is life, and the fish is life. Life must be the bird, and life must be the fish. It is possible to illustrate this with more analogies. Practice, enlightenment, and people are lifeless. Now, if a bird or a fish tries to reach the end of its element before moving in it, this bird or this fish will not find its way or its place. When you find your place where you are, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. When you find your way at this moment, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. For the place, the way, is neither large nor small, neither yours nor others. The place, the way, has not carried over from the past, and it is not merely arising now. Accordingly, in the practice enlightenment of the Buddha way, meeting one thing is mastering it. Doing one practice is practicing completely. Here is the place, here the way unfolds. The boundary of realization is not distinct, for the realization comes forth simultaneously with the mastery of Buddha Dharma. Do not suppose that what you realize becomes your knowledge and is grasped by your consciousness. Although actualized immediately, the inconceivable may not be distinctly apparent. Its appearance is beyond your knowledge. Zen Master Baoche of Mount Mayu was fanning himself. A monk approached and said, Master, the nature of wind is permanent, and there is no place it does not reach. Why then do you fan yourself? Although you understand that the nature of wind is permanent, Baoche replied, you do not understand the meaning of its reaching everywhere. What is the meaning of its reaching everywhere? asked the monk again. The master just kept fanning himself. The monk bowed deeply. The actualization of the Buddha Dharma, the vital path of its correct transmission, is like this. If you say that you do not need to fan yourself because the nature of wind is permanent and you can have wind without fanning, you will understand neither permanence nor the nature of wind. The nature of wind is permanent. Because of that, the wind of the Buddha's house brings forth the gold of the earth and makes fragrant the cream of the long river. So much great imagery. So as um, I also said last time, there is sort of no way (laughs) to cover everything in this second half or so of the 
uh, fascicle in one talk, um, or I don't know how many talks, but I wanted to pick out some things. And at the end, if there are other things that you want to bring forward that, you, that I didn't talk about or that you have a question about, we can talk about them during Q&A. So firewood becomes ash, and it does not become firewood again. Right? And this uh, big statement about um, firewood and ash trying to point out something essential about time and being and the nature of things follows directly on the statement uh, which came just before, when you practice intimately, intimately is a way of saying, you know, undividedly, and return to where you are, settling the self on the self, it will be clear that nothing at all has unchanging self. And then he launches into firewood. Right, so I think this is uh, a kind of long illustration of that essential point. I think, as most of you know, birth and death are sometimes called the great matter of Buddhism. Right? Understanding the nature of birth and death, or what they are, is like our whole job. <laughs> uh, it's often written on the Han, either in uh, kanji, Chinese or Japanese characters, or in English. Right? You know, great is the matter of birth and death. Wake up. Wake up. So this... Uh, firewood and ash business is a really key part of this essay. Nishiari Bokusan, who I was quoting yesterday, this late 19th century, later 19th century uh, scholar of Buddhism and priest, uh, he says, there are many kinds in one, and there is no duality in two. <laughs> All right, this is a great statement. He says what the fire metaphor is about is birth and death which is undivided activity, right? There is no two. There's, there's no duality in two. So firewood is about birth and death, and it's undivided activity. Birth, as Dogen says over and over again, birth is completely birth, and death is completely death. Birth is no death, and death is no birth. That seems kind of obvious to us. They seem really different to us. Right? But he's very forceful about understanding the great matter from a variety of different perspectives. In fact, Nishari Bokusan says, the final guidance at the end of your life must be brought forth by you yourself while you are alive. That's why it's so important to engage with this. And he goes on, he, said, he says, because of our thought of before and after, right, birth, life, death, we are pulled around by birth and death. We cannot die thoroughly, he says. Birth and death are independent dharmas. One does not turn into another. He says, it is the root of delusion to see birth against death, to regard death as opposed to birth, and to see before and after in birth and death. He says, the mind of ease is to be free from these views. But next, Dogen seems to say there is a before and after, right? After the initial firewood becomes, you know, there's, there's no uh, before and after. They're cut off from before and after. He says, you should understand that firewood abides in the phenomenal expression of firewood, which fully includes before and after. So suddenly there are before and after, right? 
but this is an inclusive view. And it's about this term that I mentioned last time, ho-e, or dharma position, right, ho-e. Firewood abides in the dharma position, it's actually that word, of firewood. And there is before and after, <laughs> says Dogen, right? Now this is how we usually understand firewood, right? So let's just go through this exercise, right? There's a tree which grew from a seed or something, it was cut down, and it, it's, and it burns, right? So we think of it as this some kind of continuum, and it has a before and after. The before of firewood is a tree, right? But these are cut off, says Dogen. So firewood, as firewood, is just entirely firewood. It's just one moment. And a moment actually has no length. It can only have length when we say something's long or short. That's what length is, right? It's a definition of, uh, it's a comparison, right? But a moment really has no length. It's, it can't be long or short. Some Rinzai teachers say, now, this present moment is zero. It has no length. It has no long or short. There is no opposition then of before and afterward. Firewood is undivided activity and has no measure. There is no opposition of before and after, right? Each moment is this moment, is this time the present. Um, Nishiari says, it's kind of like a proverb, a teacher of old, he doesn't identify who, says, as I have great power, I fall down when the wind blows. <laughs> the great power is to fall down all the way at the time of falling, right? Just this moment. Our great power is to merge with just this moment. Furthermore, says Dogen, birth does not turn into death. And then he goes a step further. He says, birth is understood as no birth. He doesn't say birth is not understood as no death, it's no birth. I think again, he's pointing to going beyond our ideas about what birth is or death is. It's just birth when it's happening. And it's not anything that you can actually capture with concepts. And also, he says, death does not turn into birth. So death is no death. Death is just death. They can't be conceptualized. Both are complete expressions. And in connection with this teaching, Nishiari cites a famous story, which he doesn't actually unpack in his commentary, but um, we can talk about it. It's, it's a great story. It's number 55 in the Blue Cliff Record of Koans, the collection of koans that we call the Blue Cliff Record. So it's about a teacher and his student who is also his attendant. Dao Wu is the teacher, and Zhang Yuan is his attendant. Right? And so they go off together to uh, a house that belongs to a member of the temple, a member of their community, to offer condolences after someone had died. This is a thing you do. And the student entered the house and he struck the coffin with his hand, right? It's a little rude. Um, and he asked, alive or dead? And Dawu, the teacher said, I'm not saying alive and I'm not saying dead. He wouldn't say. And 
Jian Yuan, the student, the, the, the Jiko, <laughs> said, why won't you say? <laughs> and Dao Wu said, I'm not saying. I'm not saying, right? He's, this is his compassionate response, actually. I'm not going to tell you. You have to understand for yourself. So on the way home, Jian Yuan stopped in the middle of the road and confronted his teacher and, say, and said, tell me right now, teacher, if you don't say, I'm going to hit you and leave. <laughs> Please don't follow these examples. <laughs> right, and, you know, Dawu said, fine, hit me and go, but I'm not going to tell you. Right? And there is a version of the story that Dawu also, so he got hit, Dawu got hit. And his, he said that now you have to leave, right? You can't, can't, you can't stick around after you've hit your teacher. And that later on, he asked a different teacher the same question about alive or dead, and the teacher said the same thing, a different teacher. And then he got it. The student finally got it somewhere else. And there are stories like this. The seed is planted with one teacher, and it, it grows and blooms with someone else. But there's, this is the coda in the Blue Cliff Record, that after Dao Wu died... Jian Yuan and said, um, oh, sorry, this is actually, it was Jian Yuan went to Shishuang, that's the other teacher, and uh, with whom he actually realized something finally. But the coda to the story is that one day, the same student, Jian Yuan, took a spade, he took a, you know, a shovel, and he went into the teaching hall. He went into the zendo. <laughs> and he crossed from east to west and from west to east, and Shishuang said, what are you doing? <laughs> and Jianwan said, I'm searching for our old teacher's sacred bones. This Jianwan was a character. And Shishuang said, floods reach the horizon, whitecaps drown the sky. What sort of teacher's sacred bones are you looking for? And later on, another student, Fu, said, our teacher's sacred bones are still here. Right, so this story somehow all fits together. What Nishiari says is, if we open up the Buddha eye and the Dharma eye, right, our eye of understanding, and look, there is nothing that passes away and there is nothing that is born. That's how he resolves all this. This being so, there is nothing that dies. What is unborn and unceasing appears in the form of birth and death as an expression of this moment. It is just time. And this is also why Dogen then says, you know, towards the end of all this, winter is just winter, right? We don't say it becomes spring, even though we do think like that, right? But winter, as we said yesterday, just is the time of cold, and spring is the time of flowers and birds. Unless you live in certain places where it's not really cold. <clears throat> So I can't resist giving the expression of Yasutani Roshi, whom I also mentioned yesterday, who was the teacher of Taizan Maizumi Roshi. Some of you have heard of him. He rephrases this teaching of Dogen's in what he calls unaccommodated language. Right? He says Dogen gives us these, these beautiful phrases to kind of capture us and make us think about this and want to try to realize it for ourselves. He says, here it is in more like plain language. You know, what it might sound without Dogen's poetic wording. So in plain language, this is what Yasutani, who's a you know, 20th century Zen master, says. He says, not only does ash not become firewood, 
right? So the at what we think of as after doesn't go back to being firewood, but firewood does not become ash either, right? So he interrupts our sense of time as a flow with a before, a now, and an after. Firewood, he says, has not a moment to abide in its dharma position as firewood, right? That's a little radical compared to some of the other expressions of this, but he says there's not even a moment to have this dharma position as firewood. It cuts off past and future, and ash is the same. So he concludes, not only does a person not take rebirth after dying, but neither does a person's life lead to death. That life does not become death, and death does not become life, is the established teaching of Buddha Dharma. Again, he's paraphrasing Dogen in a kind of direct way. And he concludes, for this reason we say unborn and undying. Life is its own time. Death is its own time. So, I don't know about you, but I can sort of see this on the edges of my understanding, right? It flickers, and I kind of think I have it, and then I return to the, but, 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 right? You know, I've been to enough funerals to know, right, that there's something going on here. Um, Okamura adds to all this, not not as a kind of coda to Yasutani, but he would add to this. Uh, Since this moment is gone before we know it in the way that firewood, you know, can't even abide in its dharma position for even a minute, even a um, one moment, he says the present moment doesn't really exist either, right? So we're left with nothing, right? Everything is like this, always ungraspable, right? Always so fleeting that as soon as we realize it, it's gone. So now we come to uh, the next section, which is a favorite expression of mine, um, where Dogen is talking about enlightenment and the moon reflected on the water. He says, enlightenment is like the moon reflected on the water. The moon does not get wet, nor is the water broken. He says, although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. The whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dew drops on the grass or even one drop of water. And you know, when I heard this, uh, the firewood and ash thing made me kind of ecstatic because uh, it's just like, oh yes, this is true. But there's, you know, there's sort of doubt that remains. But this seemed to be, like, really understandable. And it was great. It's like, yes, yes, this is it. Um, and this language about the moon and the water recalls the language of an earlier section, which we read yesterday, but I didn't talk about, where Dogen says, you know, you should, when you hear, um, or when you see, you employ your, and when you do this, employing your whole body and mind, Right. That's what we're kind of, I hate to say aiming at, but that moment of perception. He says, it's not like a reflection in a mirror or the moon reflecting in the water. And here he's talking about, you know, the moon reflected in the water. It is like a moon reflected in the water. So what is he doing here? Right. He says, the quote is, when you see forms or hear sounds fully engaging body and mind, you grasp things directly. And I think this is the moment of experience before we separate into me and something else, right? So it doesn't last long, right? I think that's our, our general experience is when that happens, pretty much immediately we start thinking, 
oh, I'm hearing something, and what is that something, and what's its relationship to me, right? What's happening, what's going on? So he's saying, you grasp things directly, and unlike things and their reflections in the mirror, and unlike the moon and its reflection in the water, when one side is illuminated, the other side is dark. Right? Direct perception is not like that. We fully enter it, body and mind. So he's, he's emphasizing, in that earlier statement, the unity of the apparent subject, right? Seeing something out there, which is really not other than myself, right? It is experience or perception before we divide into viewer and the thing that's seen or the listener or the hearer and the thing that's heard, right? But reality is, there may be two sides, but reality is only one thing. Right? There is a hearer and a herd, but in reality, it's just everything is you. Right? So he's using two different metaphors of the moon, basically. So in this great statement, enlightenment and persons do not obstruct each other. Just as any mirror reflects, any person can experience awakening. That the moon does not get wet and the water is not disturbed in reflection points to the inseparability of practice and realization. This is another of Dogen's famous statements, that practice and realization are not two things. Practice doesn't lead to realization, and also realization does not end practice. I'll come back to that. Right? It means you are you, even after what we call realization. It's ordinary. Yasatani says, the light of the moon of enlightenment is vast. It is the inherent nature of the universe. That's his statement. So it fills everything, a drop of water, a puddle, a lake, the ocean. But this doesn't mean that if you experience this, you are exactly the same either, right? In one way you are, but as Yasatani says, if anything appears to be other than yourself, you absolutely cannot have what he calls peace of mind, freedom, right? So if anything suddenly appears and you think, ah, that's not me, keep practicing, right? So the moon in the water is an oft-used image in Zen and in Buddhism, and, and actually Shakyamuni uses it. Um, he says, the true, this is Shakyamuni, the true Dharma body of the Buddha is like empty space. Right? Empty space. Responding to things, it manifests its form. It is like the moon in water. Right? So that's kind of uh, going back to the source of our teaching. So no independent self. Right? Potentiality manifests in each thing, and it it doesn't cling to anything either. And Dogen comments about this statement of Shakyamuni, the thusness, right, we're back to thusness, <laughs> the thusness of like the moon in water is water moon, right? It is water thus, moon thus, thus within, within thus. This is, you know, Dogen through and through, right? Dogen says, thus does not actually mean to be like, right? It's, then you have two things, right? Like something like something else means two things that you're comparing or identifying with. 
right? He says it doesn't mean to be like. Thusness is thisness. So, again, we've come back to this thing that we were talking about, immo or thusness or suchness. In class, we were discussing this, for those of you who are not in class. And Okamura has a comment that is kind of helpful. It's a little bit deep in the weeds, but he says, there is a Chinese kanji that Dogen is using, a, a character, right? Um, that supports this interpretation, that thus doesn't mean similar to, right? It's not read as similar to, but as this, right? This, the thing right now of this moment, actualizing the fundamental point, you actualizing the fundamental point. And Dogen also, in this uh, set of, of, of uh, characters, he uses a character for middle way, right? This is the, you know, the two truths. There's the absolute and the relative, which is what we've been playing with for the last two days. The middle way is between those two. It's not to be caught in one or the other. And this character, which is chu in Chinese, means between or within. Within our immediate, everyday lives. Nothing special and not caught one way or the other. So thusness, which is formless potential, manifests as thisness, right? Manifests as the fundamental point. So this is a lot of wordplay, but I think it's pointing at something that's uh, important and helpful. Here's a story for you all. Some of you may have heard me say this before, so please forgive me. Um, you all know my name is Choro. When I received that name in Jukai, when I received my Blue Rakaso more than 20 years ago, I have to confess I was disappointed because what choro means is clear dew. Dew, right? Like, like the dew on the grass. Hmm? Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot of anticipation about what my name was going to be. I think this is kind of a normal thing. What is my teacher going to name me? What do they think, you know, I'm manifesting right now? And, you know, I wanted to be something like, you know, steadfast mountain, you know, <laughs> something like, you know, big and zen, right? And it's strong and zen. And, um, and actually you get two names, right? So my first name is Myo Mon, which means subtle gate. That was pretty good. I like that one. But that's not the name we use. We use our second name. And so my public name, the name that everybody calls me by, is Clear Dew, or as I sometimes say, I'm a dewdrop, right? And I just felt like, this is not me. I am not a dewdrop. What? You know, it, the image just didn't, I don't know. But, uh, and then my teacher wrote a quote from Genjo Koan on my Rakasu, and it was, kind of came from this part of Genjo Koan, about the moon reflected in one drop of water. And I thought, oh, I get it, all right. But I didn't fully appreciate it, <laughs> I have to say. It took me a long time to really appreciate this gift of my name. Even though I loved Genjo Koan, and I actually think, in retrospect, that one another reason why this name kind of, I don't know, initially failed to excite me was that it was too close, very close, too close to impermanence. Mm. Right? You know, mm. like, I was already in early middle age when I took the precepts. And knowing how impermanent dewdrops are, the dewdrops on the grass, gone very quickly. Dew drops on a, on a leaf drop quickly. And I thought, what is she saying? Am I on the grease slide to death here? You know? <laughs> right? 
But then I heard the teaching of Dogen that impermanence is Buddha nature. This is a really radical teaching of Dogen, that Buddha nature is nothing other than impermanence, right? That's what Dogen teaches. Nothing at all has unchanging self, and yet everything, all things, fully reflect, or fully, all things have fully within them this unsurpassed enlightenment. And so I kind of thought, I need to settle down in this. <laughs> I'm still doing that. So I think the thing that I want to spend the rest of our time on, and we can talk about some other things if you like, like I said, is the end of this, the other big kind of statement. Uh, at the end of Genjo Koan, there's this wonderful stuff about birds and fish, which we can, we can also get into if you like, but this is uh, the end where Dogen quotes kind of extensively in a relatively short essay this story about the Zen master who is not really well known to us, Bao Che of Mount Mayu. He was actually a reputable, quite reputable Zen master who was a disciple of Matsu, who is a famous Zen master of the Tang Dynasty. So he's on his mountain in his monastery and he's fanning himself. Presumably it's summer, right? And he's fanning himself. And a monk comes up these monks, they just ambush you everywhere. <laughs> and he said, Master, the nature of wind is permanent, and there is no place it does not reach. Right? Why then do you fan yourself? And so the, I think there, he's having a little fun with him, actually. Uh, Baoche said, although you understand that the nature of the wind is permanent, do you think you understand that? Anyway, although you understand that the nature of wind is permanent, you do not understand the meaning of its reaching everywhere. And so the monk is shameless and says, well, what is the meaning of its reaching everywhere? And the master did not use words. He just kept fanning himself. And so I think Yasutani says, so what else can you do but bow in a situation like that? And Dogen then says uh, about this story, the actualization of the Buddha Dharma the vital path of its correct transmission is like this. If you say that you do not need to fan yourself because the nature of wind is permanent, and you can have wind without fanning, right? We just The wind is there, you don't need to do anything. You will understand neither permanence nor the nature of wind. The nature of wind is permanent. Because of that, there's this amazing statement, the wind of the Buddha's house brings forth the gold of the earth and makes fragrant the cream of the long river. Right. So, how do you understand this? Put yourself in the position of the monk. <laughs> what is the question, and what do you think this answer means? I mean, the question is, really, if we all have Buddha nature, why do we have to practice? Yeah, it's, it's Dogen's original question, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it's pretty interesting that, you know, the, the, uh, the teacher... You know, the, he says, this comment is, the vital path of the correct transmission of the actualization of Buddha Dharma is like this, right? It's not words, it's activity, right? It's activity. So what about the fanning? What about that? The work. Practice. The practice. Effort. Wholehearted effort. Wholehearted effort, yep. But the wind is always there, but we don't have it unless we actualize it. It comes forward in our activity, 
right, at this moment. So this is also a warning about getting stuck <laughs> in the idea that we all have Buddha nature and we, you know, like, it's fine, right? It's just fine. All we need to do is realize Buddha nature and we're good, right? But it's not like that. It requires practice to keep actualizing it and, it, and continuous practice to actualize it. And I like what Okamura says, which is kind of interesting. He says, um, he has a chapter about this or a section about this in his commentary, and he says, because there is wind, we have a fan. Right? It's, it's sort of baked into who we are as human beings, this practice, this engagement. Right? So, you know, there's another statement that uh, mind is Buddha nature, actual, I'm sorry, wind, not mind. Wind is Buddha nature actualized in activity, the activity of fanning, right? And practice enlightenment are not separate. That's what this is saying. So I want to close with some thoughts about how to practice with all this when most of our time we kind of don't engage so much with the life and death questions because we're consumed with our everyday life. How can our everyday life manifest you know, our understanding in a different way? And so these are three different teachers who have some comments, specifically coming out of their study of Genjo Koan. So Yasutani, he actually criticizes Soto Zen of his time, which is our time. He says, if you look at things only from the standpoint of the original self, right, we're all trying to get that glimpse of original self or Buddha nature or un, you know, undividedness, right? And we think that's the whole of the Buddha Dharma, right? He says the standpoint of the original self will become phony, right? We think we have it and then, you know, and everybody has it and then we can all chill, right? Um, and he goes on to talk about people who then say, oh, well, I'm unworthy of enlightenment because, you know, I have a lot of flaws and bad karma and I'm hopeless, and so all that we can do is rely on, say, Amida Buddha, right, saying, mm -hmm. you know, the name of Buddha, or some other, other power, right? And he says, neither of these is the way. Just to say, you know, I have faith in Buddha nature, I think I've experienced something, or I'm never going to get anywhere, so, uh, you know, I'll just turn it over to Buddha and hope for salvation. He says, neither of these is the way. He says, direct experience and engagement in your life as a person is the way. And, in, and that's what, for him, all of the talk of birds and fish, they're just engaged in their life, completely mm -hmm. inseparable from their conditions, whatever they are. It's a puddle, a river, a sea, you know, it's a polluted lake. They, they, they're completely at one with their environment. If their environment is poisoned, they just die. They die completely. Right? If there's no place to be born, they're not born. There's no separation. They are completely expressing life. How do we do that? Right? How do we do that? Mm -hmm. So Yasutani wants us not to get stuck in thinking that merging with the absolute right, is enough. <laughs> the middle way, which is between the two truths of absolute and relative, is what we negotiate in our lives. Right? This is Genjo Koan. Here's another uh, quote from Yasutani. He says, pay attention to the place you are standing, right? This is the place, this is where the way unfolds. The place where you're standing, pay attention to yourselves. 
don't only look into the distance at the great ocean, which is that other wonderful image of Dogen, right? You know, it's like a palace, it's like a jewel. It depends on what kind of creature you are and what you can see with your eye of practice. He says, there is no great ocean apart from a single drop of water. I wish somebody had told me that about 20 years ago. <laughs> there is no great ocean apart from a single drop of water. He says, awakened to the fact that our every step, every move, every thought is endowed with immeasurable, wondrous features. Right? We are palaces. We are jewels. In our every action, we inhale and exhale the whole universe. Here's something from Tygen Layton, who translated, uh, has, has, well, he's commented extensively on Dogen um, and has done numerous translations in collaboration with other teachers. He's a student of Rebs. He says, I think something very important given our preoccupation with our karmic lives. So this is not meant as any kind of criticism. I'm totally subject to this. He says, this study of the self, right, to study the Buddha ways, to study the self, this study of the self is not about psychologically analyzing ourselves. He said that might be part of it. And psychology and psychotherapy can be complementary and helpful to Zen students. But the practice that we do, sitting upright, observing this body and mind from within body and mind, not from some idea of it, goes much deeper than just our psychological analyses. It may include those, but it is about how to be actually present in this body and mind. This is our work. This is the ongoing, ongoing awakening beyond awakening. Uh, and a similar idea from uh, um, uh, a, another teacher in Chicago, um, Robert Althaus, who's not in our lineage, but who recently commented on Genjo Koan, he says, without enlightenment, we just have humanistic psychology or mindfulness. That's a knock on mindfulness, by the way. The whole mindfulness industry, right? Not mindfulness, but the mindfulness industry. He says, right, with, without enlightenment, we just have humanistic psychology or mindfulness. But that's not the same as mindfulness, or let's call it engagement, in the context of a genuine spiritual path of awakening. And that's not what Dogen is teaching. Dogen is very clear about enlightenment. He's saying that's the point, to wake up. Here's my other page. I spilled coffee on this at 5.30 in the morning. There we go. Um, so don't think you've arrived at some place where there is no more work to be done. Wherever you've arrived is just the jumping off place for continuing to do what you need to do. He says, don't just drop off body and mind. Drop off the dropped off body and mind. Just like Dogen did. Thank you very much. Does anybody want to offer anything? Or ask anything? Pat. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, I feel like using this word actualization is very powerful for me. Mm. I feel, so, you know, I'm used to thinking of realization, like, oh, you know, I want to get it. But <laughs> actualization is a, has a different flavor. Oh. Maybe it's more useful. And um, So I guess 
realization and actualization are, I guess, the same thing, but sort of a different angle of looking at it? I think so. I think, for me at least, what I think Bogan is saying there is don't get stuck in realization. Yeah, you know that you're. Yeah, that you're sort of. Well, I'm not saying it's where you are because. (laughs) (laughs) I had to tell you in the kitchen you are actualizing and you are realizing (laughs) at the same time. Well, you may not notice that you're a Buddha. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) he also says that Buddhas do not necessarily notice that they are Buddhas, but they go on actualizing Buddha. So whatever you think is beside the point, right? No, that's what I think. I think we do kind of like we're sitting on our, we spend so much time sitting on our cushions, right? Waiting for something to happen or hoping for something to happen or, you know, like wanting it to make a difference because it's a huge investment of our lives in this place, you know, doing, doing this thing. And I think, you know, it's like the proof is in the pudding. It may not be something you realize consciously and Dogen says that over and over again. What you realize isn't yours and it may be beyond your perception, Right? But how you live your life, whatever it is, being Tenzo, being Eno, being a follower of the Buddha, or whatever you're doing beyond the Zendo, right? Driving your car, walking your dog, right? All these things are your life. And there's no special place. Right? There's no special place. It's it's everywhere. The, here is the place, here the way unfolds, he says. Right? Yeah. So we do get hung up on, you know, our ideas about things. And maybe we don't even need to worry about it quite so much. But the important thing, I think, is not to hold on to whatever we think we've understood, right, and not to stop there. There's always more. Oh, hi, Rich. Hi. Um, thank you for that wonderful Dharma talk. In your Dharma talk, you mentioned that, that firewood and ash, and you talked about it starts with a seed, and we think of it as like we th- it starts as a seed and it becomes ash, right? Like there's, <laughs> and I, I hear life cycle mm-hmm. when you say that, and I hear uh, becoming something else, and I, f- I feel like when I, especially when I work with kids, I work with kids, and I hear them like, you know, babies want to become old, they want to be able to walk. And little kids who walk want to have freedom to run. And then, mm-hmm. you know, older kids want to become teenagers. And teenagers want to become grown-ups. And grown-ups want to become, they want to make a lot of money. And they want to <laughs> be able to retire and not do anything. And it's like this, it seems like life is like that sort of like, I'm always trying to become something else. I'm always yeah. trying to get from here to there. I'm not mm-hmm. right here. I'm just trying to go from one place to another. And it, it, I hear that pattern of like, I'm always trying to become something else. Mm-hmm. You know, life is always, birth is always, seems to have this momentum toward death. Like, you know, and it's always this, um, but, I, but I think what enlightenment is about is stepping off that wheel of of origination. You know, or you're, you're going from this to that, you know, between, it's neither uh, existence or non-existence. Right, yeah. the middle way of yeah, the middle. So, yeah, that's what I'm hearing. That that you're not trying to get anywhere. You're not trying to become something else, or you're just trying to be here now in where whatever position you are currently. Yeah. I think that's I think that's basically right. I mean, if you we we talked about photographs a little bit yesterday. You know, like right. you look at a picture 
uh, you know, of yourself as a baby, and you think, oh, that was that was me, but it's definitely not you now, right? So there there seems to be a kind of trajectory between, you know, birth and then whatever you look like when you die, and then you know there are different abilities and. It, and we're intertwined with our society and our times and, you know, everything that we're exposed to, including good food or not good food or, you know, toxins or, you know, healthy environment. All these things make us up. But if we really look at it, you know, we're totally co-created all the time. There is no independent self and there really isn't a, a single self that's just, you know, going from point A to point B. Each of those moments that we call childhood or babyhood or adulthood or old age are a full expression of a human being's life right and we but we tend to try to understand well where did i become an adult when did i get to be an old person you know when i got social security is that it you know <laughs> right it's it's like there there it, there's a seamlessness to it and it's really just constant transformation so there is a kind of change going on, but we don't control it. And death can come to an infant, right? It's not like, you know, they can occur simultaneously. Birth and death are not separate in that way either. So, yes, I think that we, we what we are called to do is sort of manifest entirely this right here. Right? When I look in the mirror now, I go, who is that? <laughs> right? I, I'm a little surprised now every time. But you know, it's like I have the sense that it's me, right? It's still me. So I'm trying now to just like actualize right now. That's what I'm about at the moment, actualizing right now. And like, there are things I can point to that brought me here or that, you know, made up my life, but right now is what's happening. So not to be trapped, you know, not to be trapped or caught. And you know, as I get older, not to be fearful of what's coming. Sooner or later, to all of us. You're alive until you're dead. You're alive until you're dead. And even then, <laughs> dead or alive. Right? That's a book title by Susan Moon. Is it? Oh, yeah, it is. That's right. It's where it comes from. That's exactly where it comes from. Dead or alive. It's a great story. Rich, you just reminded me that... Um, while I was looking at my talk this morning, I was thinking the firewood and ash thing, you know, because the, the, maybe because we all have experience of, you know, trees and how they change and the trees can die and not necessarily be cut down. I mean, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I was thinking of something more like rocks. You know, when we, we pick up a rock, if you know what the rock is and you can say, oh, this is metamorphic or it's igneous or it's, hmm? What? Well, he left a bunch a... of black rocks in the sink, and I thought oh. they were beans. <laughs> <laughs> really hard beans. Really hard beans. And I said to so, Pat, you better cook those really hard <laughs> to get those beans. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, say, we just see a rock, usually, right? We don't really think about that. You know, did it... You can think of a rock that way, that it has a past, and, it, and you can take it all the way back to the Big Bang if you want to. But right now, it's just a rock. You know, and certain kinds of rock subjected to certain kinds of conditions will become diamonds. But when we see a diamond, that's not what we think. We see a diamond, right? So that kind of helped me to think about this in that way. You know, I'm just a rock. <laughs> I don't have, you know, I don't have this before. I'm cut off from whatever was before. Right now, I'm a rock. Anyone online have anything they want to? 
Going up. People are hiding behind your screens. Oh, yeah, Eric um, and then Kat. Yeah. Oh, um, um, in the great matter of birth and death, mm. um, you mentioned, you know, the fact that well, it's changing in the self. I mean, that's, that explains why there's no birth, no, no death, is because of the, the, the self doesn't exist. We don't exist in the way we think we do. Yeah, nothing, is, nothing really is born and nothing really dies. It's all just transformation. Um, that's one thing. Another is though that you know, it's, I think it's Yasutani, one of the one of those Japanese, fierce Japanese, who has this. Uh, I didn't bring it today. Has this amazing statement about birth. He says, "What's the big deal? A human being is just a bunch of karma that gets attracted to five skandhas and four elements, right? And boom, you're born, right? <laughs> and then he says." You know, so like, forget that individual self, right? It's just the momentum of life after life, whatever that is. And then he says, and what's the big deal about death? Boom, you're dead, right? You know, it's just completely that thing at that time. So he depersonalizes, I think the main thing is he's trying to depersonalize it. And, you know, from that point, it's sort of comforting, although, I, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, I don't know how comforting it'll be. <laughs> you know. I feel like Suzuki Roshi did something like this from the stories I've heard. He just, you know, ex embraced death. He didn't want to die, I'm pretty sure. He had a lot left to do, and he was leaving, you know, his monasteries and his students, and he was only in his 60s. Um, but there's a wonderful story that he, they thought he, and because he was, he had terrible jaundice, that, you know, he might have something contagious, some liver disease, and might be contagious. And when he got the cancer diagnosis, which is pretty devastating, you know, liver cancer, there's like not much you can do sometimes for things like that. Yvonne Rand, who was a close disciple of his, came in and he was sitting up on the bed and he said, I have good news, I have cancer. And she was like, what? And he said, well, now it means that we can eat together. And he shared his lunch off the same plate, right? So I think that's just embracing what's happening completely, right? Mm. 100%. I doubt I'm going to be that serene, but <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can try. Yeah. I want to thank you all for your uh, effort this last couple of days and for being here. It felt like Sashin, not just uh, you know all day sitting. It really felt very settled, and you all just jumped in and uh, helped me to just jump in. It's been a long time since the last session. So um, you can save further thanks for later, but uh, I very much appreciated these couple of days with you. Thank you. Thank you, John.